Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Have you been on Facebook lately or Twitter or Instagram? There's a whole lot of arguing going on, some rather heated. Seems there are times when we social media users are anything but social, which begs the question, how can we disagree with someone and remain his or her friend? Let's put that question to Dr. Jennings today, shall we? Dr. Jennings is with us via Skype. Dr. Jennings, what do we need to know? You know, the big principles of God are truth, love, and freedom. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing, how you frame this, is you've created, I think for many people, a false narrative, a false premise, a false assumption that creates a landscape of untruthfulness that creates the hostility. And that is that the people they interact with on Facebook are their friends, Mm. or the people they interact with on the social media are their friends. Some may be, but many of those interactions are actually, they're not friends. They may have started out friendly, but people need to make the distinction between a true friend and somebody who is a friendly acquaintance, a friendly associate. Mm -hmm. Friendly associates and friends are not the same. I can tell you in my own personal life, I have friends who I disagree with on certain topics. And we can have some heated and direct and blunt, and some people hurt us, sometimes sounding rude, never vulgar or crass, but direct and cut to the bone, arguments even. And we love each other in the whole time, and we appreciate each other more. We are friends, and our our friendship is more important than the argument, okay? Mm -hmm. But the friendship comes first. I have others who I've been friendly with, friendly associate, maybe a friendly person at church you interact with, a church fellow, whatever. But those relationships can only go so far in disagreement before— they have tension and even sometimes hostility appear that my friends and I never have, even when we disagree more intensely. (laughs) And there's a difference. When you have a friend, you value the friend. People who have not yet achieved friend status for most of us, we may value their service to us. We may value what they can do for us. And we maintain them in the circle of their service to us or our service to them. It may go the other way. As long as the cost to us is not more than the reward to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when the cost, and that cost could be financial, but it's often in the dynamic you've set up, emotional cost. Yes, yes. Stressful, conflictual. It costs more effort to deal with you than to not deal with you. With friends, that's not the case. With friends, even in my disagreements, I still enjoy my friends, even though we may disagree, because they're more important to me than the actual argument. When the argument becomes more important than the person, I don't care what the argument is, you've missed the point, if they're your friend. So I would say, step one, be truthful. Mm -hmm. Who is this person to me? Do I love them more than I love the argument? And then, how do I interact with them? And if I don't, if it's, if it's about an argument, it's about a debate, then the next question is, 
how can I present my views in a way that is godly and can remain cordial in the face of someone else's disagreeing view? And that is, I don't have to win them to my view. I practice the principle of liberty. I present the truth in love in the most gracious way I can, but I leave them free. I recognize they come from a different place, a different standing, a different perspective. They're in a different journey. They may not have the same ability in their in their space in life right now to understand it the way I do. They may be ahead of me. They may be behind me in the journey. I want to listen to what they're saying to see if they are actually sharing a perspective that can advance my personal development. And maybe they'll lead me down a path that I can gain new insights. I might be open for that. Or I might recognize that they're far behind and they're not open to any new light and truth. And so as we understand those things, we then narrate or, or determine how we interact on what level. And if certain people that you identify and you assess and you're truthful in your own mind about who you're dealing with, they're not a friend, they're an associate, they're usually friendly, but sometimes they become argumentative. They have a certain maturity level where they're not able to handle disagreement. If you assess all those things in your judgment, then you don't engage with those types of conversations. You redirect towards something that they can agree with, often in some way, that uh, shows interest in their welfare and their health. There are times, Dr. Jennings, when people on social media feel it is their, their Christian duty to remain friends with people who are abusive to them. And I know that you're going to come down on me for saying this because this also happens in homes with spousal abuse and child abuse and whatnot. How are we supposed to look at people who use us abusively? What should be our reaction to that? Again, it depends on your maturity level, but if you understand how sin works in the sinner, sin in the sinner sears the conscience, hardens the heart, warps the character, corrupts the soul. You can never commit an act of sin without damaging yourself. Most people don't know this because they look at the world through the human law lens, and they think that you can do corruption, you can do evil, you can do crime, you can do wrong, and as long as some external authority doesn't hold you accountable, you, quote, get away with it. This is a lie. No one ever gets away, even if they're not caught by the authorities of the human systems, because they sear their conscience, harden their heart, warp their character, corrupt their soul. And so when you understand God's reality and you have love in your heart for the person who mistreats you, not only do you not enjoy the mistreatment and you don't want to be treated that way again because you want to care for yourself in a godly and healthy way, but you care for the other person and you recognize, hey, if I love them, I can't quietly go along while I observe them searing their conscience, hardening their heart, warping their character. So I will take the actions and governance of me that my judgment deems is going to be most redemptive for them. Depending on who they are, that might be a confrontational conversation. Hey, I love you too much to sit quietly by while you speak such ugly words to me over and over again. I understand that you're struggling. And so let's talk about what would cause you as my spouse to curse me the way you do. You say you love me, but love doesn't do that. So there must be something in your heart that's causing you great pain. Let's work on that together. Or perhaps you determine that that approach hasn't worked. You've tried that. So the best approach to help that other person would be to 
not give them opportunity to hurt you again. So you set boundaries, disengage, and move out of that relationship. So they don't have the exposure to you to harden their own heart by mistreating you again. Well, that is wonderful news because what I hear you saying is you don't stop loving people who are mistreating you, but you certainly take action for the people who are loving you, not even against, but for them. What's good for them too? Rarely, rarely, rarely is it the case that somebody in an abusive relationship who is the victim of the abuse actually stays for godly love for the other person. Mm. It's almost always they stay out of a sentimentalism and fear-based codependent connection that serves their own self under the self-deception of I love them or I'm staying to try to win them. The reality is they're afraid to leave most of the time. They're afraid to be alone. They're afraid of abandonment. They're afraid of financial ruin. They're afraid of losing the kids. They're afraid of what their church will think of them if their marriage fails. Mm -hmm. In almost every case that I've seen of this, when somebody stays in an abusive relationship, it's because of fear of rejection, abandonment, loneliness, but it's fear-driven, not love-driven, almost always. So I would suggest to you that if you look at God's evidences he's given us in Scripture, you will notice that Jesus constantly focused on the consequences to the other. When he's being crucified, Father, forgive them. Mm. They don't know what they're doing. He knew that he wasn't being treated that way because of corruption in him. He knew that he was holy and righteous and the Son of God, and he knew this was because of corruption in their character. He recognized they were searing their heart, hardening their hearts, alienating themselves, and destroying their own souls. This is why he said at times when people don't want to hear the gospel, shake the dust off your feet and leave them. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine lest they turn and rend you asunder. Notice he didn't say, don't cast your refuse before swine. See, swine love refuse. Interesting. Interesting. They, they love garbage. Yeah. You throw the world's stuff at them, lies and corruption, they'll eat it up. You throw truth at the swine in our society, they will attack you for it. He wants you to recognize what you're dealing with and don't feel it's your job to go out there. And if you do that, you're only going to get yourself attacked. So it requires us to have wisdom and discernment of who and what we're dealing with and recognize that our responsibility is to govern ourselves as God would direct us not try to fix other people. All right. Well, then, as we interact with people in our house or on social media or at work, our driving force should be what? What's our marching orders for today? The show is, how do we remain friends while we disagree? By disagreeing in love, uh, recognizing who you're dealing with, maintaining healthy boundaries, giving other people the freedom to disagree, and it's okay. It's really okay. Well, you can see it that way, and I'm going to love you just as much anyway. And then ultimately valuing the person more than the argument. Mm. And not forcing or pressing an argument when you know the other person you're dealing with can't take it. Okay, Dr. Jennings, one final question here for you. If we are to remain friends, even though we're disagreeing, and we're the only one who chooses to remain the friend and the other one doesn't, how should we feel about that? What should be our reaction to someone who says, I'm not going to be your friend anymore? 
Well, you can't be friends with somebody who's not your friend. Be very clear about this. Hmm. You can't be a spouse with somebody who divorces you. So if they're not going to be your friend, they're saying, I'm ending our friendship. Okay, I can still in heart care for you, but we are no longer friends, not because I'm unwilling to be a friend, but because we don't have a friendship anymore because you've severed it. So we need to accept that, give them the freedom to separate from us and move on and build friendships with healthier people. The person who would do that is demonstrating that they're very immature and very childlike, and they don't have capacity for true, healthy friendships. And that's the way God treats us, isn't it, Dr. Jennings? That's exactly how he treats us, and that's why the wicked are lost in the end. It's not because God says, oh, I've had enough of you, and, I, and my cup of wrath is filled up, and I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to get rid of you people. That's so ridiculous. That's a human childish projection. No, God gives us freedom and leaves us completely free, and the wicked are lost in the end, according to Revelation, when they beg for the mountains to fall on them and hide them, they separate themselves from him, cut themselves off from the channels of blessing, and he sadly lets them go because he respects their freedom to do so. Wow. Those of us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of these other social media programs, we've just heard some wonderful words of encouragement for us and some motivations for us to do what we know to be right, even in the face of those who would attack, even in the face of those who would reject, even in the face of those who would unfriend us. We need to remain true to the God in our heart. Am I right, Dr. Jennings? And when people unfriend you, recognize they really weren't your friend. That's a media artifact. It's not reality. So don't react emotionally like you've lost a friend. They were not your friend in the first place. Commonreason.com is the website. Dr. Jennings makes many things available there, some of them absolutely free. You can just find a nice gift to give yourself or someone that you love there. And uh, you'll find just a lot of encouragement there as well. And that's what I like about the Common Reason website. You go there and you find good reasons for being who you are and living the life that you feel that you need to live with God's help and you find motivation for everyday life there at commonreason.com. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for sharing today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.